Please turn with me in your Bibles now to the book of John, chapter 11, verse 35. Last week, you may remember, I hope, that if we were speaking about God's wisdom, God's mercy in all our afflictions. I preached about the benefits of afflictions, which seems not very possible, but all of our afflictions come from your Father's loving hand. And though we may not understand it, He has a purpose in it. He has a plan, and He can use it and does use it for our good in in many ways. But last week, I was focusing more on God's power and His wisdom. And it could sound a little bit cold, to talk about the benefits of affliction. So this week I wanted to follow that up by trying to show you more of his heart, how he loves you, how he feels sympathy with you. And this morning I want to do that by drawing your attention to the shortest verse in the Bible. It may not be the shortest sermon, it might be, but it'd be the shortest verse, John eleven thirty five. Jesus wept. Just two words, but when you consider them, you will see how profound and rich a statement it is. It comes in the midst of the morning of the death of Lazarus at the end of Jesus' own ministry. I'm going to try to focus on that verse, but I'm going to cheat a little bit. And it's better if I read the surrounding context. Be reading John 11, verses 30 through 44. This is God's word. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, They followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed 
you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. Amen. Now, at the beginning of this chapter, Jesus had been in the wilderness where John the Baptist was first baptizing. And so Jesus was many miles away when Martha and Mary sent word that Lazarus was sick. They said, the one whom you love is sick. That is a point in itself that God's love is still there when we're sick. That though God loves us, it it doesn't mean we won't get sick. It doesn't mean we won't die. These things are not incompatible. And then it has this amazing statement. It says, Now Jesus loved Martha and her sisters and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, and you would expect it to say, He went straight there and he healed him. It says, when he heard that Lazarus was ill, verse 6, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. That seems to make no sense to us. Now, you may know that Jesus actually didn't need to come to Bethany to take care of Lazarus. He could have healed him from where he was. His power is unlimited. But Here, John 11 gives us two reasons why Jesus waits. First, verse 4, for his glory, to reveal God's glory to us. When Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified in it. So it's for God's glory. But secondly, for our good. Verse 15. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died, and for your sake, I am glad that I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So you see, God in Jesus in waiting had in view God's glory and the increase of our faith. So what Jesus does, how he does it, even the timing of it, and him not doing what we want him to do when we want him to do it, have these two goals in mind, God's glory and our good. It's still true today with everything that God makes you wait for. How was it for their good? Specifically, that they would believe that that God had sent Jesus. I quoted it, I think, in the prayer, but Jesus will say in John 17, this is eternal life, that they may know you, 
the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. There are many other things that you might desire at the moment. Christ has something much higher for you. Eternal life. Knowing God, knowing Jesus, whom he has sent. It was for the increase of their faith when God, when Jesus waited that they might believe. But faith in what? It is our faith in who Jesus is and what he came to do. You know, it's amazing if you look through the book of John, John says that if everything that Jesus had done were written down, he supposes that the whole world would not contain the books that were written. So it's amazing in light of that statement that in John, there are actually only seven miracles recorded. So these are not just random selections of miracles. John has picked them out in particular and put them down here for our for our uh, knowing Christ. And it's amazing also, when you think of it, that John doesn't call them miracles. He calls them signs. Signs. The first sign you might remember was him turning the water to wine. And these signs are not for you to just stare at the sign. It's a sign that points you to something, that's revealing something about who Jesus is. Is. And so these miracles, these signs, occur often with teaching of who he is. So when Jesus multiplies bread, he says, I am the bread of life. When Jesus heals the blind man, he says, I am the light of the world. And here, when, we, when he raises Lazarus, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. Now, this miracle, this is miracle number seven. And it is really the greatest miracle of physical healing that you would find in the Bible. Jesus raised a couple other people, at least, in the Bible. One girl who had just died, a boy who was on his way to being buried. But here, he saves a rotting corpse and calls Lazarus, his beloved, out of the tomb, and he is restored to perfect health. This shows us that Jesus is not just a great physician. He's not just a healer. He is the resurrection and the life. One day, his voice will ring out, and the dead in Christ will rise from all over the world, and there will be perfect health once again, death and crying, mourning, pain will be no more. And we also see in this that Jesus is able to raise not just our bodies, but our souls. And unless so if Jesus is the resurrection and life, it also means that without him, we are helpless and dead. So this resurrection of Lazarus is an awesome demonstration of who Christ is demonstration of his divinity. He can raise the dead. But before Christ goes to prove this divinity, he provides us with one of the most striking 
examples, striking proofs of his humanity. He weeps. So take this as one point. Jesus wept, and therefore he is truly man. Now this is something that's often forgotten, something often misunderstood or just overlooked. There was a time in church history when the great debate was whether or not Jesus was God, whether he was not just like God, but that he was of the same essence as God. God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made. Now it seems to be much easier for us in the church to accept that he is God just as much as the Father is. But we often forget that he was truly man, that he was, that he was just like us, hum, human in every way. And when I say, except that he was without sin, that's not, that's not a qualifier on it. Sin is not part of who you are. Jesus Christ is human in every way. He is not like Superman. I don't like Superman, really never did, but Superman is an alien, I'm sure you know. He's not from here. In the stories, he comes from, from Krypton. Being human is his disguise. He acts weak. He's not weak. Your Lord Jesus is not like that. He is not Superman. He was truly, really human with a human body and a human soul, a human will, human emotions, a human personality, a human temperament. He had everything that we had, yet without sin. He was a man. He is a Jewish man with a certain height, a certain eye color. His hair grew in a certain way. He spoke with a certain accent. He probably had a favorite food. He experienced the things that you go through. He knew what it was like to be hungry in the wilderness. He knew what it was like to thirst by the well in Samaria. He knew what it was like to thirst on the cross. He was weary. He wept. He wailed. He sighed. He groaned. He knew sorrow. He knew what it was like to be tempted. He knew joy, anointed with the oil of gladness above his fellows. He was truly human. He is truly human still. Hebrews 2, 17, Therefore, he had to be made like his brethren in all things, that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest. And isn't that a comfort, brothers and sisters, that the Lord Jesus is not ashamed to call you his brothers, to call you his brethren. Isn't it a wonderful thought that every time that God now thinks of man, he must remember his own son is a man. Isn't this a great reason for us to praise and to give thanks that God became man not became an angel, 
not became some other animal. He became just like you. That the creator became a creation. That the infinite took on limitations. All this that you might be saved. And that thought is especially glorious when you hold in your mind that juxtaposition of humanity and divinity that we see in our passage. That the weeper in our passage is also the Lord over the grave. What power and also what concern for the hurting, for the lowly. He is the lion and he is the lamb. And that is a wonderful thought for you to meditate on. But while I stress his real humanity, I do not want to give you the impression that he wept merely because he's human. I cannot say that God the Father weeps. But what you see in Christ is the best way a human can express what God feels. Everything that Jesus did reveals the Father to us including his weeping. He says here a little bit later, he who has seen me has seen the Father. And the Holy Spirit, you know, loves and grieves as well. For even when he grieves over our sin, it's an indication of his love for only those who love can truly grieve. So in Jesus weeping, we see that he's truly human but is also the perfect expression of God's tender heart for you. That's who God is. He is good. It is not a quality. It is his nature. He cannot help but be good. His goodness is as infinite as his existence. God is good And he cares about you more than you could ever understand. More than you could ever imagine. So first we see Jesus could weep. Therefore, he is truly man. But secondly, Jesus did weep. And that shows us what kind of man he is. A sympathetic man. That is the second point. Look at our passage again. I'm going to read verses 32 through 36. Now, when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, See how he loved him. Now, why does Jesus weep? You see, it's partly because Jesus loved Lazarus. But it's also because he is moved by the weeping of others in these these verses. In verse 33, Mary is weeping, and the Jews are weeping. Jesus will weep with them. He is not only Emmanuel, 
God with us. He is God weeping with us. You see, he deeply feels your sorrows. Isaiah 53, he was a man of sorrows. Our griefs he himself bore, and our sorrows he carried. Isaiah 63, 9, in all their afflictions, he was afflicted. Brothers and sisters, you have a great high priest who is able to sympathize with our weakness. More than that, he is unable to not sympathize with our weakness. He cannot help but feel love to you, love to the lost. He cannot help but feel hurt and sorrow when his people are afflicted. You are his bride. You are his very body. He must love you. He must care for you. Compassion is, in fact, the emotion that is most frequently attributed to your Savior. Compassion. He feels with our passion, with our suffering. He felt compassion when he saw the people as sheep without a shepherd, when he saw the sick, when he saw that the people were hungry, when he saw the blind man coming to him, or a widow mourning the loss of her only son. He could not see others without feeling sympathy and solidarity towards us, with us, for he of all people loved his neighbor as himself. Compassion would well up in his heart and flow out of him. And this compassion is evidence of his love. Jesus wept, and the Jews say, Behold, how he loved him. Brothers and sisters, I want you to deeply work the conviction of Christ's sympathy into your heart so deep that it will be there when disaster strikes and you are tempted to doubt that sympathy and love. Jesus wept because Jesus loves. That's who he is the most understanding, the most compassionate, the most approachable person that ever existed. That's your Savior. Jesus loves because he is love. Thomas Goodwin said, Jesus Christ is love covered over in flesh. Your flesh. He feels love to us He is human with us. And he is God. And God is love. Jesus is also our example here. Brothers and sisters, do you weep with others? Both for our Christian brothers and sisters, but also the lost. Is your heart moved? And does that move you to do your best to relieve the hurting. Take Jesus' example to heart. Paul wrote, Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. That's what Jesus did. He wept with them. 
but he also rejoices with us. One day, you will see your lost loved ones again, and you will feel great joy. At that moment, you will not feel as great a joy at your reunion than Jesus Christ will feel at your reunion with your loved one. He loves you more than you could love your own soul. He, he, he feels sympathy in our misery, and no one will be happier at the ending of our misery than Christ himself. He will rejoice sincerely with us. And one of the most profound and moving things about all of this is that in a few minutes, Jesus is going to raise Lazarus from the dead. He knew that he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead. He said, your Lazarus has fallen asleep, and I go to wake him up. And then he travels for days. He knows that he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead. And he still weeps. For the women are weeping now, and he will weep with them now. Now, you know God causes all things to work together for good one day. And there's an ending to all our troubles. And God sees that future just as clearly as you see the present. For God, there is no passage of time. Every moment is, is present to him. But that does not make him apathetic to your present concerns. Jesus doesn't say, toughen up. I'm coming back one day. I'm going to make all things new. He doesn't say, stop crying. I'm going there right now to raise Lazarus from the dead. This is a day to rejoice, not to weep. No, he weeps with them now, and he will rejoice with them later. Brothers and sisters, do you understand what this means? It means that God never overlooks or disregards your pain, even for a moment. He sympathizes with us. He hears the voice of our weeping. He does not forget the cry of the afflicted. He is near to the brokenhearted. He loves us, even when we are in our graves. And even then, he watches over our bodies with particular care. For our soulless bodies remain united to Christ, even in our graves. Isn't it wonderful comfort that Jesus loved follows his loved ones to the grave and remains with them. That, too, is a great comfort, especially for those of you who have lost loved ones, who have fallen asleep in Jesus. For you must remember that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus didn't feel this way just with Lazarus. He feels this way with all those whom he loves, all those for whom he has died. He still sympathizes with us, and he still loves us. Jesus wept, and that is proof of his love. Behold how he loved him. But if the shedding of tears was the proof of love, how much more? the shedding of blood. 
Greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. Brothers and sisters, behold how he loves you. You see, Jesus did more than weep with us. He did more than share our griefs. He bore them. Our sorrows he carried. He was crushed for our iniquities, and by his scourging we are healed. That is why Lazarus could be raised, why you or I could be raised. You see, within days, it would not be Jesus and the women weeping outside the tomb of Lazarus. It would be the same women, and no doubt Lazarus, weeping outside the tomb of Jesus. Indeed, verse 53 of this chapter tells us that from this day, the Pharisees and the chief priests planned together to kill Jesus, like a chain reaction to this miracle. I wonder if Lazarus stood weeping outside of Christ's tomb realizing that Jesus had just taken his place in there. Did he say with Paul later on, the Son of God loved me and gave himself for me? Brothers and sisters, all you who have been raised to life, Christ Jesus has taken your place too. Praise be to God. Through death, he rendered powerless all who had, him who had the power of death, that is, the devil. And by his resurrection, he has removed the sting of death. Your Savior holds the keys of death and Hades. He still looks down upon you with the same deep compassion. Your pity, your sorrow, your, sorrow, your suffering... It increases his pity towards you. He still looks down upon you with love. And one day he is coming back to call all of his people out of their grave to live with him forever. Jesus wept. But on the day that he returns, your weeping will be at an end. God will wipe away every tear from your eyes. There will no longer be death. There will be no longer any mourning or crying or pain. Dear Christian, behold how he loves you. Let us pray. Lord, we ask that you would increase our faith, that we might know you, not just know about you, but know really who you truly are, who you are for us. We ask that you would fix our eyes on Jesus, that we might see in him your love, your pity, your mercy. Lord, we will never truly understand the depth of that mercy the depth of that love. But we ask that you would help us to understand all the more that you might sustain us in our sufferings, 
with a deeper understanding of your love to us. In Jesus' name, amen.